Hey, what's up? This is Jeff Staple. Don't forget, we will very soon be separating the three shows on Hype Radio, so you will have to go and individually subscribe to those shows that you want to listen to. So search and subscribe right now to The HBR Show and Soundcheck on Hypebeast Radio or Hype Radio to keep listening. Do it now so you don't miss any episodes. Okay, let's get into this week's show. From Hype Beast and Hype Radio, I am Jeff Staple, and this is The Business of Hype, a show about creative entrepreneurs, brand builders, innovators, and the realities behind the dreams they've built. If you're into the world of sneakers at all, to whatever degree, this week's guest has become a household name. But he's not an all-star athlete. He's not a musician. He's not a Hollywood celebrity. He's not even a sneaker designer. He's maybe a connector, a guy who makes things happen. But this gentleman, he makes things happen on a massively global scale that affects billions in dollars of commerce. But maybe even more important than the dollars, are his connections to affect culture itself. From losing thousands of dollars booking gigs in college to being the man who Kanye West said saved my life, our guest this week has been through a long and tumultuous path in his life. Many people would want his job, but few understand what it takes to get there. And of that group, even fewer has what it takes to make it into reality. Let's get started because we have a ton to cover. My name's John Wexler, and I oversee entertainment and influencer marketing for Adidas globally. Welcome, man. Thank you for having me. We are in Portland, Oregon. Rainy Portland. You were just saying this is, what, the least amount of time you've spent in Portland like since yes. you've been at Adidas? Yeah. In the last 30 days, I think I've traveled more in that span of time than in any 30-day period of my life. And, you know, part of this job is travel. Like, mm-hmm. it's just an inherent part of the job. But, I mean, even... F- with that, it was a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and it was definitely like Europe, inner US, domestic, et cetera. Um, and it was maybe a day or two here. I mean, I definitely miss my family. Yeah, I was just <laughs> but, about to ask. You have a family, yes, right? Yes, <laughs> yes. Two teenagers and a wife and the whole thing. Like We have a whole house that is like possibly running more efficiently without me home than with me <laughs> home. Like, but Like you, you know, fuck shit up when you go home. They're like, kind of. <laughs> yeah, they're like, yeah, our rhythm is now, you yeah. know. But um, it's all good. No, my family's fully supportive, and, and uh, I, I don't think I'd be capable of doing any of this stuff without that support. And I, mm-hmm. like this this past month, it definitely like was very clear to me that it's the foundation that I have that allows me to take these moments to explore new opportunities. Yeah, and, and try to do cool shit. Right. Yeah. You mentioned you had two teenage kids. Yes, thirteen and sixteen. Okay, boys, it's, girls. Uh, my 13 year old is a girl. My 16 year old is LGBTQ. Okay. And so they're old enough to know that dad does cool shit. Yeah. They're is that also, like an issue I mean, now? Like how uh, often do you get hit up? <laughs> my younger kid definitely hits me up more. Really? Than the 16 year old? Than the 16 year old. The 16 year old's got very specific tastes and is, and is, uh, the things they're into is what they're into and they're not into anything outside of that. My 13 year old is a little bit more um, open to mm-hmm. sort of like the experiences of, of diversifying that yeah. mix of whatever music, this, that, the other. But um, you know, when Janelle Monet was in town, my 16 year old was like 
ready to go and stayed after and you know definitely Uh like soaked in that entire experience whereas uh my 13 year old went to billy eilish like i think last night yeah yeah is your six nights ago is your 16 year old into kicks and stuff uh not as not really my 13 year old's into into the the, that sort of stuff my 16 year old's more into like science and birds and i shouldn't even say science more like animals nature um you're so lucky Art, so like doing fortunate. stuff with their hands, yeah, yeah. you know, and um, oh, I'm definitely the luckiest guy on earth, yeah. for sure, for sure. And my wife works in the uh, uh, for an organization called Organs, Oregon Innocence Project, who uh, focuses on getting innocent people out of prison. Oh wow! So if you saw like Making a Murderer, yeah. that was the Innocence Project of Wisconsin that got that guy out, so yep. that kind of got them notoriety. Um, but there's one in every state and one national, mm-hmm. and she is part of the development team for the one here. So it's like you know we're definitely involved in sort of the the cause, the right causes, and and sort of like keeps you grounded. Yeah, yeah. And then I'm on the road, and we're right. trying to keep our feet off the ground i guess i mean we're (laughs) trying to like lift people to new heights so it's it's definitely a interesting what is a day in the life for you like is there is there a regularity do you have a schedule lately it's been wake up look around and figure out where you are but that said uh every day is kind of unique and different yesterday um spent a majority of the day on the phone uh talking to both my team and uh who's based all over the world you know kind of figuring out tightening refining our plans for next year mm-hmm. um which we're trying to constantly evolve our approach we're, we're in a very unique part of the organization where we can experiment try new things and yeah. try to bring people into the brand who um kind of bring our open source positioning to life mm-hmm. um you know the creator sports brand that's that's where adidas is trying to really uh carve out our territory yeah. and so that gives my team license to to bring in people from all different types of creative communities. And, uh, you know, so we're kind of refining what pockets of culture we're going to really invest into next year and Mm -hmm. who the people are that we want to do that with. Then, you know, it's everyone from, uh, like, I think I talked to Pharrell twice on the phone yesterday just because he um, has a bunch of really great ideas that he wanted to express, not just to the people who are responsible internally for bringing those to life from a product and marketing perspective, but also just to make sure that, uh, if there was any confusion about the the details and layers that he wants to take these ideas that that enough people in the building could kind of yeah. speak to them um, and, you know he's a very vocal partner um, it's the best thing about working with guys like that they're always trying to show you ways to win mm-hmm. you know amazing uh, so a lot of my time is spent talking to external people yeah. who have amazing ideas that they want to share with Adidas and and to help us kind of elevate where our brand is and also reaffirm things that we want to stand for. Mm -hmm. So um, a typical day in my life is if I'm in Chicago, I'm I'm going into meetings with, you know, I actually, it just becomes name drop after name drop after (laughs) name drop. And I, I hate to put other people's business out there. So it's like, it's sort of always a weird one to talk about, but every day is unique and different and I'm super, uh, fortunate to have that luxury in my life mm-hmm. that like the sh- the stuff that I get to wake up and work on is the things that I've always had a passion for and you know I have a genuine love for the people that we work with and for the stuff that we create together yeah um, and for the people that are on the Adidas side of that equation you know there's no one I'd rather um, have standing alongside of me when we're doing these meetings and, yeah and pushing 
uh, through. Like the team, the creative team here is outstanding. It must be super interesting though to be at a sports performance brand, but your entertainment lifestyle, right? Absolutely. So like, absolutely. How do you bridge those two? Yeah, I mean, well, the the it all starts back with like the Bob Marley taking the samba and you know uh-huh. turning it from this soccer shoe into a shoe that people wore. Um, just to look cool in, in the yeah. streets. And like, so from him and, and obviously Muhammad Ali before him, he transcended all types of walks of life and sport, culture, religion, yeah. politics, all those things. And, and he was a real beacon of light for the brand, you know, pre and during the Bob Marley era. So um, you kind of have this like organic credibility to transcend. And then someone like Run DMC comes in, mm. takes this basketball shoe called the Superstar. Mm-hmm makes an entire song called My Adidas and then really jump-started this like lifestyle as sport yeah. or sport as lifestyle thing. But back then there was no like division called lifestyle at Adidas, right? It was happening totally by accident organically. I yeah, they called, they, they did it on their own yeah. and they, they recognized that there was like this, you know, they're kind of, the, the story goes that there was this preacher in their neighborhood who said anyone who were Levi's and Adidas was a criminal. So they wanted to put a positive message against that, mm-hmm. and that's where my Adidas was born. You yeah. know, um, uh, wore my Adidas, but not a thief. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, and but back then it was just one thing, correct? And then I want to say in the '90s, Adidas made a decision to um, change their logo from the Trefoil, which mm-hmm. stood for all things, to segmenting their brand into the Badge of Sport, which is the performance logo, Badge mm-hmm. of Sport logo, and the Trefo logo. So the Trefo logo became the classics lifestyle off the field logo. Yeah. And the Badge of Sport became the, the height of technology and performance. Mm-hmm. Um, so now that we've separated those brand marks, it's, it's pretty interesting because there's a huge non-sport like designer influence in performance right now yeah and then on the lifestyle side of things you know classics have never been stronger and then there's other innovations that we're bringing into our classics to make them extend their lifestyle Mm -hmm. so you know adidas has this authentic entry point because of the musicians and and other athletes who we've worked with who have transcended more than just the box that they were put in yeah by society and then you bring in these partners now like a kanye west or a pharrell williams or like Snoop Dogg and what we're doing with him in football right mm-hmm. now for high school sports. Um, you know, and then you look at guys like James Harden, Paul Pogba, who definitely span the yeah. sport realm into the culture realm mm-hmm. in, in the countries they're from and globally. So we're, we're definitely um, well positioned to continue to delve into this territory with, yeah. you know, when you talk about the products, we've got the innovation. When you talk about the messengers, we've got the right, people to carry that message and from an amplification standpoint i mean we've got people who champion the brand to mm-hmm. such an extent you we're, we're super blessed and now it's about listening and hearing those those the assets gems. all around you yeah, right? yeah like we're the open source brand our job as as brands today you know brands used to be able to say here's the trend and then spend a bunch of marketing money against it. Now it's what consumers tell each other the trends are, and it's for brands to listen and yeah. say, all right, this is the trend. We see it early. We're going to completely open this up, mm-hmm. and here's the, the plan of attack. And it's going to be marketing. It's going to be product. It's going to be activation on the ground, yeah. ambassadors, and, and the full like storytelling layers that you, you have to um, dimensionalize, mm-hmm. or you're not 
you're just putting shoes on shelf or you're just yeah. putting product on a rack and there's no that's not going to cut through in this attention era right so when you're on the phone with one of these like icons and they're telling you something that will affect the actual product is it your job to then take that message and make sure that it actually gets implemented? Well, I, from a product perspective, our team's job is to seed it. So like yeah. our team's job is to identify sign and service influencers and celebrities who can help the brand tell sharp, tell stories against the sharp points we're mm -hmm. trying to tell. Um, and against the key categories, whether it's originals, football, basketball, running. But I mean, like, let, let's say you're talking to Pharrell and he's like, yo, I wish that did that instead of this, like on a shoe, like he's right. talking particularly. Like so, but, so our team will be a fly on the wall mm -hmm. in those meetings. Mm -hmm. The only, like the, I guess the real answer to that is, is the only reason why someone in f that context would say that to me mm -hmm. is if for some reason it was being lost on the actual people who own that responsibility. responsibility. Right. So I fortunately have not had too many of those phone calls. Like, um, the, uh, I can't even remember the last time I had a call like that because our team's job, just going back to it, is to really listen to these partners yeah. that we bring in and try to bring their ideas to life. Like that is the, the, the objective mm -hmm. of a brand when it's truly living this open source mentality is to like, you know, the parlay partnership is a great example where we, someone came to us and said, Hey, we have this insight where we can recycle plastic into materials that you can use on your shoes. And I mean, even in the coffee shop just now, that's why there's no lid for your coffee because no there's no plastic in the I got, building. I got shamed when I got coffee yeah. at the Adidas yes. coffee shop. I asked not for a in, lid and they're not like, in our office. leave. Exactly. <laughs> so like, you know, you'll see no plastic water bottles in the office, no plastic bags in our stores, no plastic straws in our... in yeah. our. Because it'd be uh, against your parley. Yeah, thing, we're like, trying yeah. to live our walk, our talk. Right. It, the problem right now in the world is everyone's talking, mm -hmm. but... It, what's missing is the action that yeah. underpins that talk. And so we're trying to, if we say it, we got to do it. Mm -hmm. um, and we really got to live that truth. So, um, you know, but, but that said, like going to the, to your question, like there will be things like, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm doing something in this city at this time period. And then it's my job to say, how can we plug that into our pipeline mm -hmm. to make sure that if we, if there's enough time we can design into that space. Yeah. So then I'll, I'll, you know, definitely shepherd that information over to the team to make sure that they've heard that feedback or if it's new info, you know, I can't speak specifically to what I'm thinking right now because we're going to actually do it. Uh -huh. But it's something that was mentioned to me on the phone yesterday. Uh -huh. I immediately hung up, recapped it to the team to say, hey, if you haven't heard this yet, right. this is what the discussion yeah. was. And then by the time I woke up the next morning, they're like, this is awesome. We'll reach right. out to connect the dots on creating the product for that moment in time for this That's Yeah, that's what I was getting at because I feel like, you know, Sometimes when you sit in an hour or two design meeting, the designs don't always just come at, in those 90 minutes. But you are offered the luxury of like sort of sitting in the back of a car with someone, sharing yeah. a meal with someone. And that's often when the creative spark happens. Oh, yeah. So sure. you're hearing shit that like, yo, design needs to hear this right now. So you just said it. Like you'll shoot an email to the right people and make sure it happens. Yeah. I mean, if, if I'm the logjam on something, yeah. um, there's no more that that feeling makes me feel super guilty all mm -hmm. the time. And and even yesterday I shot a note to three people. One was an external person who are hopefully going to bring in closer to the brand. And then the other two were sort of heads of state within their departments here at Adidas. And I just had to shoot them a note last night. Like, yo, I am the, I am the delay. I am so sorry. <laughs> like I got you. Uh -huh. It's on the radar. I just haven't had the bandwidth for it. Yeah. But, um, 
you know, I feel like if you're open with people and, and honest about those shortcomings, like people are pretty quick to forgive and just want to get to the work. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I just try to be super open and honest with people about when I am not getting it done. Mm -hmm. And typically people appreciate the straightforwardness of yeah. that. And yeah. especially the culture or the community of people that we talk to, you know, those direct conversations save so much time. And there's so many people, whether they're, you know, just starting out on Instagram or they're, they're world famous, they have people around them that are filling their heads with ideas that mm -hmm. might help, might not help, but our job is to always just be totally honest. Yeah, yep. Even if it's going to not be what the, the surrounding people within the, the group are telling these guys. Yeah. There's plenty to unpack here in just the first few minutes of our sit down. It's easy to go on and on about how cool it must be for Wexler to be around some of the biggest names in entertainment. But beneath that layer is a big lesson, and it's about communication. Wexler is not only a key vessel in the dialogue that spawns amazing product at Adidas, but he's also responsible for communicating from the collaborators to the internal team. And doing it in a diplomatic way is critical. Many, many people fail in this transaction. Wex is ensuring the integrity from the artist remains intact, but at the same time, he also needs to make sure the people within the organization take ownership of the process. It's ego management, and Wex is dealing with some of the biggest egos in the universe on both sides of the fence. Another thing to take note of is when he says the group needs to walk the talk, not just talk the talk. People often nowadays prioritize the words, but they don't give the same amount of energy to the action. This is where real leadership shines. Everyone can easily say they can do the job, but someone needs to be there to make sure that the job actually gets done. So you mentioned on here as well as before when I walked in that even though this job is hard, you don't see your family as much as you'd like to, it is still a dream job. Oh, yeah. So oh, how yeah. does, I want to back up a little bit and you obviously didn't wake up, got, you know, graduate college and walk into a dream job. I want to <laughs> no, start, I want to go back a couple steps and see how you got into this. Okay. So when you were young, first of all, were you like a sneakerhead? Uh, so my brother was this prolific high school athlete. Mm -hmm. And so he had, you know, their teams were getting sent shoes. He played in college. Yeah. Once he was in college, the, a brand sponsored his university. So they were getting shoes mm -hmm. and he was like a half size bigger than me. So, so all my life I was one of those kids who was getting like the dopest <laughs> hand-me-downs. Yeah. Like my hand-me-downs were murdering shit. And where is And this? then in Chicago, okay. Highland Park, Illinois, like cool. suburb 40 minutes North of, of uh, the city. And so, um, I, I don't know if I was like a sneaker. I was a sneaker appreciator yeah. and a sneaker aficionado. I don't know that there were sneakerheads. Like right. I had friends who collected sneakers then mm -hmm. who still have amazing archives and they still collect. But it was just different then. It wasn't like there was this mentality of like, you know, like I collected comics. Uh -huh. I collected, I just didn't, I guess I was more of a hoarder than anything. I just didn't throw things away. So yeah. I have all my brother's old sneakers until my mom, you know, renovated their house and then she got rid of all that. Um, 
I think then it was just like about, you know, I, I collected buttons, I collected comics, mm-hmm. I collected stamps, I yeah. collected sneakers, but yeah, it wasn't like, uh, and then I had vinyl. It wasn't you know? for like resale or like right. anything like that. It was it's just, just different. obsessiveness. It, exactly. Yeah. It wasn't transactional. And I feel like now when you're a sneakerhead, quote unquote, you're, you're paying possibly as close, if not closer attention to resale to mm-hmm. drive your consideration set than just doing it out of appreciation for the fact that it's it's like something that you're obsessed with. Yeah. So um, I definitely was into sneakers though. Like my three passions as a kid were were basketball, sneakers, and and when I turned like 16, I bought two turntables and a mixer, and I was mm-hmm. like DJing and shit. And yeah. Like really getting into that, like cutting up the wax paper that the records used to come in before I got slip mats and like uh-huh. trying to mess with speeds and had two Technique 1200s, which is cool. where the Wex 1200 thing yeah, came yeah. from back in the day and um were you spinning at home or did you actually yeah in go the basement and, no like, oh yeah you... yeah yeah well all of the above okay. um we uh like i dj'd my first two years at college until uh, i was at this one frat party and these guys like threw beer on my turntables and basically wrecked my shit but um which is why i got into promoting hip-hop concerts which is how i basically got into this industry which okay. was i lost a bunch of money trying to promote hip-hop shows in college uh-huh. And the way that we had gotten that money was by going to people for units of investment in the concerts. Yeah. So the people we went to were all these young men's apparel brands. Like uh, one of them was my brother's hat company called Hypnotic Hats. Okay. And then there was a couple Wait, other- Hypnotic with the-, the Yes. Spot. That was your brother's that company? That was my brother. Blah, 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 40 ounce. What? Yeah, I was a sophomore in college. They and used he to start- sell that shit in like Canal Jeans on Broadway. Exactly, and Canal stuff. Jeans. I got H- hit yeah. by a cab where Lafayette and Canal like turned into each other. Uh, yeah, that brand During, was like, ill. The early nineties, yeah, 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 that was like They're Junko like cover, jeans era, cover WWD, yeah, yeah, and so like I repped all those young men's brands that went around it, like okay. uh, porn star kick or who was it? My my main guys were like Tribal Streetwear, uh-huh. porn star, Blunt, yeah, Kingpin NYC, which was like Blue Vladimir, yeah. and Brad, yep. and and like Stash and Futura were doing yeah. all the artwork for it, and. Um, I think I had Subware and Project Dragon for a summer. Like it was, you know, you always had like six to eight brands that you uh-huh. were trying to work on. But like the reason I even got into that is because I lost all these original guys' money, like 3,000 bucks from you, 3,000 bucks from you, 3,000 bucks from you. What do you mean you lost it? Because we, we just, we didn't know what we were doing, man. We did not know what <laughs> we So you get we the money to throw this doing. event. We thought we knew. So my brother's best friend was a guy, or a good friend of his was a guy named Ted Demi who started Young TV Raps. Okay. So, and his wife was, or fiance at the time was a woman named Amanda Shear who Manage Cypress Hill. Mm-hmm. So I'm loving hip hop. I'm going to Wisconsin. Like they're a good fit for University of Wisconsin to bring them in. Yeah. And I'm talking to this buddy of mine who, um, and, and we're just talking like, yo, I'm, I, you know, my turntables have been jacked. I didn't have any like real income source. Mm-hmm. I wanted to keep diving to this like passion point for me. And um, he was like, why don't we bring Cypress Hill? Like we'll get the money together by, you know, he showed me what an Excel sheet looked like. Yeah. I'd never seen Excel before. Right. You know, it was budget. like, this is the early nineties and shit. Exactly. We made a budget. We, we thought we knew all these numbers and I called Cypress Hill's management and they were like, it'll be this much money. And I was like, okay, great. Mm-hmm. I didn't know you're supposed to be like, no, I only have this much money. Yeah. And like that whole thing, I had no idea. Yeah. So we flew them out, we sold out the show and we lost $15,000. Okay. Like it was like, we couldn't have done a worse job, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but the thrill ride of it was a real exhilaration moment. And also like, you know, that wasn't the last show we did that we haven't brought Tribe Called Quest, LS Soul, Souls of Mischief in 93, like Damn. made some money off that. And, um, you know, got the equation right. But in the interim, I called all these cl- companies back and said, hey, I lost all your money. How can I make it right? Uh-huh. And they were like, just be our rep. 
Mm-hmm. So I basically, starting my late junior year, early senior year of college, became a road rep for all these guys. I put like 40,000 miles in my car the first month. A sales rep. Sales like rep. Independent rep. So in I had a Subaru. It was uh, Illinois, Wisconsin, Michigan, okay. Ohio, Kansas. So like I was just in Detroit three weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, there's Showtime. I remember driving my car up to <laughs> yeah. Showtime on Woodward. Um, and pulling my racks of clothes out and just wheeling them in the store. And Dan used to come out with his shotgun to make sure that everything was cool. Like wow. it was, it was so, and my wife would come with me back when we were in college on these trips during like spring break. And she would drive through Detroit with me. I'd go to Strictly Sports Damn. on 8 Mile Wo- and uh, I think Woodward there as well, outside Parkland Mall. That's but dope. like, so, so I kind of cut my teeth on that. Yeah. And then I was actually good at it. Mm-hmm. So like these, then uh, all these brands, like Third Rail was on my anchors, yeah. I want to say at the time. I worked for Fucked, Pervert. So it was all like the graffiti streetwear yeah. guys, like guys who are like killing it now still today doing mm-hmm. like, you know, Slick's still doing his thing. Yeah. Kelly Gravel's still doing his thing. Yep. Um, and all when, those the, guys. when the musicians came to town, you would be the one that was like sort of making sure they were good. Like when Tribe came, Cypress came like... So yeah, so, so I would, yes, I would pick them up in the van. They, they, they had no idea I was probably the guy that was actually putting all the money up and promoting the stuff with my partner. <laughs> right. But like me and him would stand outside Madison East High School and hand out flyers to kids and be like, come see Cypress Hill, they're this new rap group. Because mm-hmm. then it was like, hip hop was like professional wrestling. You know, like Cypress Hill was the first openly marijuana smoking rap group. Yeah. Madison, Wisconsin had Mifflin Street Block Party. You know, it was like a perfect uh-huh. fit. Yeah. Um, and we sold out the show. We just didn't know the equation. Right. And so we we basically were rookies at every turn and got our heads ripped off. So <laughs> we learned the hard way. Yeah. And then, you know, I'd drive those guys, pick them up at O'Hare. They'd do a show at China Club in Chicago. Then we drive to Madison, mm-hmm. do the show out at um, the Civic Center in Madison with Cypress Hill and Funk Dubious open for them and then the next show we did was at the Barrymore Theater with Tribe Called Quest Ella Soul and Souls of Mischief it was Souls of Mischief in 93 and and like I mean that to me like I still that moment is still one of the highlights of my life just like the experience of of watching those guys in their prime doing that music yeah um but whatever so I taught you how to deal with artists and right like that yo that same night Fife came off the stage rest in peace Fife Dog and before he had caught his breath coming off the stage, I was like, hey, I'm getting the first van back together to go back to the hotel. And he, and I learned in that moment, when people come off the stage, let them come off the stage. Because right. <laughs> like, he was pretty amped up. And at that point, Maceo had to step in and be like, yo, this is, it's cool. He's driving us. You know, like, yeah. but it was another moment where I was like, oh, you know, it was totally fish out of water moment. Yep. Learned the hard way. But um, then I moved to Oregon in 97 when I got married. And uh, for three years, I was banging on Adidas' front door, banging on Columbia's front door, banging on Nike's front door, and uh, to do the same thing. Like, well, I was like, I want. I I realized that, like, so I moved to the Pacific Northwest. And do you remember Mr. Rags? Yeah. So they closed Uh six months after I moved here, and with them, so did half of like my potential earning. Yeah. potential here because they were the biggest chain out here. There was also a chain out here called Emporium. They closed. It was like the era of retail consolidation mm-hmm. in the like late 90s, early 2000s. And it just was, uh, it was at a time of life where I'd been, my life where I'd been married for three years. We knew we wanted to start a family. Yeah. And like the feast or famine life of being an independent rep and commission based, mm-hmm. it's like not conducive with that stability yeah. of lifestyle unless you have like major anchor brands mm-hmm. that I was working sort of a niche rotational brands. niche yeah. thing. Yeah. So, um, you know, I targeted these brands as like a more stable opportunity. And then 
could not get an interview, could not get a callback, nothing. And so I went back to school after getting a bachelor's degree at Wisconsin at the Art Institute of Portland mm -hmm. just to learn the vernacular of the creation side because okay. I knew the sales side. I knew yeah. how to talk about apparel and footwear because I'd rep apparel and footwear brands. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think I had John Fluvog like in the late 90s. Wow. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. yeah, like before he had like shops and uh -huh. stuff. And uh, I think he just had Seattle then. <laughs> and uh, anyway, so... Um, so you wanted to learn more on the other side. Yeah, so I learned how to design speak. I learned how to develop material development. I learned how draping works. I learned how to sew. I learned how all this stuff that like... And I also learned in that moment that I can't draw. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm never going to be a designer, uh -huh. right? And so my mother-in-law called me and she's like, well, why are you even going to school? I said, well, I want to be the guy that sits next to the designer and says, there's this kid out there. This is their influences. This is the music they like. Mm -hmm. This is the clothes they're wearing. This is um, how much money they have in their pocket. These are the video games they're playing, you know. Yeah. And and I I'm like, but I don't know if those jobs exist at these companies. And <laughs> right. and then the, literally I, I want the, that job, but right. I don't know if it exists. <laughs> and, and then literally the next day, it's funny because we bumped in that guy Todd with the black jacket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the guy from US the guy Force. who makes cleats. The guy who makes cleats. He gave me my flyer for my first job. And okay. uh, I'd met him at a trade show booth at ASR when I was repping Third Rail. He uh -huh. came in the booth with a couple other designers. And I was like, oh, I just moved to Portland. And so I started hanging out with him. And three years later, he's like, here's this flyer. And the description for the job was exactly what I said to my mother-in-law. It was a basketball product marketing job, merchandiser role mm -hmm. called Sweeper. And your job was to do market, get market information about consumers, manage sample purchasing for the sales reps, manage sell-through reports. You know, mm -hmm. basically like all the report stuff. Yeah. Is um, it a merchandiser? Is that the title? Well, it, it, the title has become merchandiser now, yeah. but, it, but then it was called sweeper because what the sweeper's role is on a soccer field. Oh, okay. To like kind of pick up all the loose I've never ends. heard of the sweeper. It doesn't exist anymore. Okay. Yeah. It's a, it's a very entry level job that doesn't exist anymore here. And that, what company was that? The, that, he, that job that he Adidas. Gave. Really? Yeah, it was Adidas. So from 2000 <laughs> to 2002, I was a basketball merchandiser. But the weirdest part of that was that I also had this weird idiot savant ability to look through a materials book at like a two-by-two two swatch uh -huh. and remember exactly what that looked like under a microscope and exactly what page and where it was on the page. So I was in this materials <laughs> class at the Art Institute, yeah. and the teacher would be like, okay, today we're going to talk about you know, acetate, da-da-da-da. And I'd be like, oh, that's on page 49 in the top left corner. Oh. And she'd be like... And okay, I, and, Rain and, Man. And I didn't even... Right. <laughs> yeah. and, I, and I just like blurted it, yeah. and it was right. Yeah. And then she like proceeded to test me on like 10 more, and I was able to just recall them. So the same day that I got the call about the job here... Yeah. I actually got a call about working in the materials library at Nike, but you know, the job here was like in basketball, yeah, which was one of my passions, passions in yeah. sneakers, which was one of my passions. And just kind of like, it seemed like more of a entrepreneurial opportunity for yeah. me. And I don't get me wrong. I didn't get an offer from there, but it was like, just funny to me that like that I'd been working to get my foot in the door, these places for years. And then on the same day, I got like the call from HR from yeah. both about stuff, but the Adidas thing was much further along. So it was you know, obviously, I, I have a theory. I think like your comic book collecting and like DJing, because when you DJ, as you know, you mm -hmm. have to like look at the cover and then know like track seven, two, two inches in exactly. the group. That's exactly. where the drop point is. Right. I think all of those things is what led you to then in design school, Wild. become like a savant on it. That's wild. I never thought about that and you're 100% right. Every so step it, of the way, like your college gig, you know, you going back to school in Oregon, I think all of these like led up to where you are now and it's almost like if you removed any one of those, it would have not happened the same way. I think all of life is like that. 
experience is so undervalued. All those little things that make up your backstory, they eventually become your entire story. If you were given the prospect of taking a job that would require you to drive 40,000 miles in one month, would you take it? Probably not. It sounds miserable, right? But what if you were offered the opportunity to fly around the world and hang out with the biggest names in sports and entertainment? Oh, you would take that? Cool, because they're essentially the same thing. They require the same mindset. On our past episode with Kevin Lyles, we called it the presidential intern mentality. And how even when Kevin became president of Def Jam, he would still carry the bags for the artists. Wex has logged the hours, he's driven the miles, and he's offered his blood, sweat, and tears. His grind then is his grind now. It's always easy to look at how wonderful the present is, but John's past is his reality right now. So take a good, hard look at opportunities, because at first, they might look like a lump of coal, but the reality is, you work that piece of coal long enough, and it becomes the diamond you've always dreamed of. To me, the silver lining is in the solution, not in diving into the problem. Yeah, yeah, right. You know, it's like, okay, I understand the problem enough. Let's so fix like it. Forge is, yeah. yeah, form and a we're solution. Get, we're all going to get better now because of that. Yeah, yeah, so I'm like, every problem to me is, that's just an opportunity. And um, I, at least here at Adidas, I've found that like the major quantum leaps that the brand has taken has always come during those moments when it's like, you know what? We're going to give this a shot and everyone mm-hmm. in the brand's going to get behind it because mm-hmm. that's the best thing for the brand to do. Yeah. And, um, when things are humming along, you don't take those types of swings. Yeah. You take those types of swings when it's like you have a decision to make. Right. Do you want the status quo or are you sick of that shit? Yeah, yeah. You want to like push it way further. Right. Um, okay, so now you're in Adidas finally. In you're Adidas basketball finally. Merchandising. Basketball merchandising. Basketball merchandising, loving it. The original Kobe shoe, um, the T-Mac one with mm-hmm. that kind of like asymmetrical toe um, came out that year uh, or the following year. So in 2000, I came into the seat, into this business. Um, I had no, I had a boss, but he was kind of like managing a bunch of other people. There was no direct boss above me. It was kind of like that hole was empty, but then there was a boss above him. So I had a lot of direct exposure early because I was doing all these reports on the early Kobe sell-throughs or on the early T-Mex sell-throughs or on the other um, basketball shoes at the time. Mm Uh, every every week, I'd have exposure to like our president and director of the cat of the department, yeah. and sort of these higher level people. So I I kind of was blessed in that I got mm-hmm. to witness how you're supposed to manage those topics and yeah. and like how nonverbal behavior is so critical and all those like subtleties mm-hmm. that senior people in the organization have because you didn't have the hierarchy above yeah them. yeah yeah i was just going into meetings to give them like here's how it's here's how the kobe shoe sold at sports chalet mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know like it was it was down to that granular level that they wanted to know like yeah. within la within the broader national marketplace footlocker etc what do you mean by you, you said nonverbal action well just like the the cues. the way that people speak with their eyes the way people speak with no by no, no reaction. Words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, just a lot of those things, I think, were <laughs> beneficial to me to learn early on because, like, that poker face is critical. Yeah. More so external than internal because, you know, there's quite often times where it's like, don't get me wrong, crisis is good for finding solutions, but when you're in the middle of them, they're not too fun. Mm-hmm. And you have to be able to kind of stay calm or everyone else in the room will 
feed off you yeah. ever, either direction. Uh-huh. So just in terms of just seasoning me. Yeah, um, you were at a high-stakes poker table. Yeah, yeah, and I learned a ton from those guys. They were really smart business people. And um, and then in 2002, based on that exposure and just how we grew the basketball business, um, Adidas made me category manager of their U.S. originals business. So then okay. in 2002, I would my job was to go to Germany and look at the global collection and say, here's what we'll sell in America. Here's the forecast. Then we'd work with sales to put plans together to say, how are we going to differentiate you guys by account, by channel, what have you. So at this point, they had already, you, the thing you said, like Trefoil logo and then the performance logo, yeah, that separation already that, happened. The relaunch for originals was, I think, in like 2000. Okay. Yeah. Right. So so from 2000 to 2002, they, they had reestablished like, that's when Samoa came back and uh-huh. Superstar came back. Um, probably Gazelle, Samba, but then oh, sorry, Micropacer, yeah, also yeah, yeah, stuff yeah. like that. And then in 2002, that's when we brought back like Monaco, Tuscany, the Goodyear stuff, mm-hmm. the Monza, yeah, you know, like those knee-high driving shoes, like really fashion-forward, low, low yep. tech, low-fi, and then also. Um, like Samoa was on fire back then, Superstar yeah. was cranking, all those things. I want to ask, did you ask for this change in title or did they just say like, you're not going to be basketball merchandiser anymore, you're going to do this thing now? Oh. Um, did you request I it? Think, I think I saw, so I, re- I remember exactly what it was. So I saw the position was open, mm-hmm. which was a surprise. And I said to my boss at the time, I think I'm ready for this. Is this something where you guys haven't tapped me on the shoulder, so you're telling me something, or like, is that where you're trying to see if I'm motivated enough to go for it? And he was like, "Really? You know, That's what you said to him?" Yeah, I was like, "Are you guys are saying you something to me right by now? not <laughs> by not telling me to go right. for this? Because like, it was just a perfect fit." And he was like, "No, by all means, if you think you're ready for it, apply." Mm-hmm. And so I did, and they and they gave it to me, which was amazing. Yeah. And that was um, right before the Missy Elliott partnership went off the ground. Uh-huh. And then I actually left Adidas for two years and came back. And um, we moved to the East Coast, had my second child out there, mm-hmm. all that stuff. And then we moved back to Portland in 2006. And um, there was another situation where I was in the running for this position at Nike to be in Nike Sportswear, this, that, the other position. Mm-hmm. Um, and an opportunity opened up here to do um, kind of like grassroots marketing in New York, LA, and Chicago, um, where we had these semi trucks in the cities, and we'd just drive them into parks and have like a hologram of David Beckham or Gilbert Arenas in the time, yeah. or Tracy McGrady at the time, or this whatever. This was like guerrilla marketing. We'd like back then, welcome right? you to the thing, yeah, yeah. exactly, and then you'd like play video games, or we'd give you like access to sport if we we're at a park we'd roll out basketballs uh-huh. or soccer balls or whatever and just like try to engage kids in their home turf yeah and uh it was a great experience and it kind of um led to this insight that if you're able to you know lay lay a foundation for the brand on the ground the investment in the community comes back to you tenfold mm-hmm. versus like the you know more of the mass media mentality yeah you know yeah so we started to fill in the blanks between sort of what we're doing in the cloud or on tv and yeah locally right um and i think that that notion of like immersive experiences you know 
that's more important now than ever. Yeah. You know, if you provi- if you're not providing kids with a backdrop for for their own brand building exercise mm-hmm. on Instagram or whatever, yeah. they're not shopping you. Right. So, um, you know, it was a really good insight for us to learn back then and we we've, we've definitely started to put that on steroids over the past, you know, couple of years. But So you uh, came back to Adi and did that role. Did that. Okay. And then um the guy who was my boss at the time, he ended up taking a new position as uh VP of originals globally. Mm-hmm. And at that point in time, they were set up as uh in their divisional structure was they had a three segments of their collection. One was called their metro collection, which mm-hmm. is like metropolitan consumers, yeah. you know, stuff you'd find at your spot. Yeah, like, yeah. Like okay. the, the city kid who who like Soho, downtown, mm-hmm. like fashion forward, London, yeah. those right. kinds of kids. And then there was a line called Coastal, which is now Adidas Action Sports. So it's mm-hmm. kind of like our okay. foray into skateboarding from originals. But because the divisional structure back then was originals was off the court mm-hmm. and skateboarding is an actual sport, mm-hmm. there was this whole debate about what logo we use there. Yeah. Internal sausage making, whatever. <laughs> but so there's this coastal range. And then there's this also this thing called Urban, which is basically like working with the key boutiques in the inner cities to say what appeals to your consumer and then how can we message those guys. And that became my responsibility was mm-hmm. the urban communications role. Yeah. and uh, Which is closely tied with music probably, right? Super closely tied with music. And that's when we started doing licenses with like Def, Island Def Jam and doing uh-huh. shoe collaborations with um, like various members of that label set up. Yeah. Uh, Method Man, Jeezy, Redman, people like that. Very limited, very uh, intentionally, and and you know it's still funny when I see people posting those shoes today because there was very like when people talk about limited edition, those were super limited <laughs> edition. Um, and through the course of doing that job as global creative or camp communications manager for originals within the urban section, um, in 2008, our CMO said, we're going to put originals back on TV for the first time since the Run DMC helicopter ads mm. in the late 80s. And he charged me and two other guys with the responsibility of making that happen. Okay. The guy who was the comms guy for Metro, the guy who was comms manager for Coastal and me. Right. And so we um, met with our agency and we said, you know, Adidas is like this beautiful house with athletes who have these amazing stories that we've never told like like tim duncan has this insane knife collection and his tongue is pierced kevin garnett loves skateboarding <laughs> Shit, right. yeah just like 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 peel back the curtain that's like whoa i th- always thought tim duncan was like this super yeah, like fundamental big fundamental right and it's like no this guy's like fuck, he's got a great personality all these guys like all these athletes that we work with at the time and um all these celebrities that we work with at the time um, relationships we have with these new up and coming pop stars, what have you. And um, so the agency came back and said, and, and we were actually like, you know what we should do is we should just have everyone like around the table for Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. like simple, straight to the point, you know, and it's funny cause that That's was in 2008. And then just last year we did that table with the creators, yeah, which yeah. I, you know, yep. Pharrell at the table with Pusha and DeAndre Hopkins yeah. and stuff like that, which I loved as an yeah. ad, but it like made me think of the original concept for the thing we did in t- 2008. But, um, that ad then became called the house party. Mm-hmm. And so the team that I work in now was always at Adidas and their job was to sign was sorry, was to seed a list celebrities. And this is back in 2008, nine, a list celebrities with Y3. Okay. So if you look through like Complex Magazine, mm-hmm. 
the print version yeah. from right. 2000, back version. when that <laughs> yeah. happened. Yeah. And you'd see like Lil Wayne wearing a Y3 track jacket in 2008 or seven. That's why, because he was, you know, A-list guy and yeah. he was, you'd see Y3. That was what we were promoting. Right. So Herman Dininger at the CMO at the time said, we're going to open up the Aperture for Originals. Mm -hmm. we, need to bring, we need to bring that to life. Um, work with the team that does the celebrity relationships yeah. to pull in people that are close to the brand and, you know, put them on TV. And so, so this is now for now we're forming the basis of your job. It's now this, a whole, the whole jump this off is, yeah. because what happened was the decision was made by the team that I work in now that to keep their relationships clean on a, you know, they're the ones who are bringing these guys into the brand, seating them, inviting them to events, asking them to like, do work for us. This is yeah. pre-social media. So it was like, photo you know, shoot, like, yeah, yeah. Come, come sit front row at a basketball game, yeah. those kinds of things. Um, photo shoot, lookbooks, mm -hmm. exactly. Um, I was brought in to negotiate because I was the budget holder for this campaign to yeah. negotiate the contracts with the management of these celebrities. Gotcha. So um, you were like Adi's A and R. I like would, you were like if, if yes. Adi was a label, you yeah. were like the A and R. Yeah. yeah, and so me and my <laughs> lawyer, who um, is still my lawyer today, we we brought in all these different people. Um, it was Katy Perry's first time on TV. She was like, I think, 19 years old. She had just done I Kissed a Girl. Uh -huh. um, the Hot and Cold video hadn't even come out. Yeah. Like it was early on in her career. Estelle was mm -hmm. killing it on the radio at the time with um, American Boy. She was in it. The Ting Tings were very hot at the time. Yeah. They were in it. Meth Red, Missy Elliott, Young Jeezy, uh, DMC. And then like Dante Ross was in it and other like sort of New York Behind head scenes, influencer heads, dudes yeah. because we were really trying to dimensionalize the brand. And so we, we did a super shoot over at Warner Brothers Ranch and two weeks later, we walked out with this amazing ad and then um, everyone went on vacation except me. Mm -hmm. So it was my job to then get the edits approved by the people in it yeah, and also to license the song for the ad, uh -huh. which was a whole new exercise for me as well. So then that ad came through the marketplace. It breathed new life back into the brand. Tracksuits became hot again. We got mm -hmm. very, we saw a huge lift from that. It, yeah. it sustained us for at least three to four years, that that ad. Wow. Um, and in just the whole like exercise of negotiating all these contracts, negotiating these music licenses, et cetera, my boss at the time was like, "I this should probably be your new job and so was i was there, like was there a, someone who had that job or this is no, like a new thing no no one had that job and so the, but what happened also it's kind of like parallel to that was while i was doing all these approvals everyone was coming back to me saying holy shit that ad came out great mm -hmm. i'd love to be at the launch event for that holy shit that ad came out every single celebrity in it every single artist yeah. all that stuff they were all like amazing and so we're set up sort of divisionally so that responsibility for that moment of inviting these people to this launch, yeah. all that stuff, who's paying for that launch, who is curating that event, mm -hmm. is done by a different group of people within the company. And so they uh, had a different vision for what that moment would look like. Mm -hmm. And so I said to my boss, I'm like, look, I, I think that the, the issue we have at Adidas is we're, we're, we're so siloed right now. Mm -hmm. um, if there was someone that looked across, I mean, we just invested into all these people we should be leveraging them everywhere consumers see the brand. Yeah. Like when someone hears this song, they should see these people and these products. Mm -hmm. When someone sees these products, they should see these people and hear this song. Yeah. Like it should just be one through Not sectioned off. Yeah. 
Yeah. And she was like, yeah, why? You're right. We should do that. Mm -hmm. Give me a plan for that. And so um, the reality is, is that this became my job almost by accident because all I did was kind of like point out this white space and say, that's a, that's a need for the brand. Yeah. I never thought it was going to be like, here's the plan for the job I'm going to take. Right. It just became that. And so it went from like a six-page PowerPoint to the next nine years of my life. Like that, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, like it went from like a presentation to my boss to the presentation of the board. Mm-hmm. to like, this is your role. Yeah. And then our team has grown from... Uh, LA and London were our two locations of our offices to LA, London, Berlin, and Shanghai, Tokyo, Paris. Uh, New York's coming online in a month or two. Um, Crazy. Moscow. Yeah. So we have like heads in every city now, and their job is to, you know, the New York people start soon, and hopefully they'll be bothering you. But like the, their goal is to go out and be like on the ground in the communities, kind of going back to that insight I said earlier. Yeah. Because if you're not present, you're not present, man. Like mm-hmm. it's just what it is. And right. so you might have the greatest products ever. You might have the greatest marketing ideas ever, but uh-huh. if you're not Touching, in the conversation, yeah. like none of that shit matters. Right. No one's seen it. So we're, we're definitely trying to like plant all those roots and, and grow all that. It's crazy. That came from a six page presentation. Because, no doubt. Like you were, you were trying to fill one occasion of a solution, but that actually became the foundation for like, the next decade. I, I'm always pinching myself for that because I feel like if my boss had been less confident uh-huh. in her own role, yeah, like like certain people would have viewed that as a threat. And instead she was like viewed that as an opportunity to empower someone that worked for her. Yeah. Um and I think that that's like a beautiful thing about this brand in general is that the best ideas win and they're constantly trying to um bring the best ideas to life. Like yeah. that's the whole idea of like open source creator, yep. like really pushing the envelope in terms of I mean, I'm I'm not trying to brag or anything. Like Adidas has always been the culture brand to me, like since mm-hmm. I grew up because I was always a Run DMC fan and yeah. Bob Marley, you know, is a constant in my rotation. But what I see happening now is that we're in a spot where we've created this territory and now it's a crowded space. So how do you evolve that and differentiate your brand further for this next wave of change that's about to be ushered in? And yeah. I'm, I would like to think that one of the biggest changes that happened over the last five years is we went from people who are trying to attach to existing stories to people that were really leading the story mm-hmm. and telling it. Mm-hmm. So I'm, you know, that's kind of the charge that I've been given from my boss and bosses is to, you know, all right, everyone's going left. So what's going to be our zig to that yeah. zag? Yeah, yeah. But also you could have taken that moment because I've been in that situation where I, I know I have a great idea. I present it and the person's like, yeah, work that out and show it to me. A lot of people are like, you don't get it then. Fuck it. I ain't going to work it out for you. Right? That, uh, that that's could the fun too. part. Yeah. <laughs> no, I like proving um, concepts. Like that to me is the, um, like even when something goes wrong, it's like, yo, that's proof of concept that like I work at Adidas is the most entrepreneurial place in the world. Mm-hmm. And and the reason that I love it is because people are constantly challenging each other's ideas and different perspectives and thoughts. And instead of like the argument mentality, you know, it's more like, all right, what's the common ground? Is compromise going to be good in this situation? Because yeah. sometimes compromise is like the kiss of death. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like here more so than anywhere else, if, if you don't like the process 
of that getting from A to B, this is not the place for you. Yeah. Because you, you have to roll, you have to do it yourself it here. Yeah. yeah. I know there's other brands where there's more people and, and it's like, you know, here you are rolling up your sleeves and getting your fingernails dirty and doing the work. Mm -hmm. Like it's not, you know, I, I joked about being on the road for 30 days, but like, you know, you're living out of a suitcase. It's, it's like, you have to really want that job yeah. and love it. Right. Or you won't survive in it. You burn out. <laughs> yeah. If you've taken the time to listen to all the interviews on Business of Hype, what you might have noticed is that a lot of the folks we featured here are not only masters of their craft, but they've worked just as hard to mastermind the art of seeing opportunities. And sometimes they can see an opportunity even before they themselves can verbalize what it is that they exactly want. It's incredible how we can manifest our own destiny. And one of the key ways that happens is simply by not getting in our own way. If you look at how Wex has found ways to communicate and assess what's driving the culture, I just don't think it'd be possible for him to do that if he was a pessimistic person, or if he wasn't open-minded enough to respond to new ideas. Beyond that, his drive is obvious, but maybe less obvious is his state of mind. These two secret ingredients are key to bringing out the greater good in all of us. His supervisor at the time was amazing for being open-minded enough to allow this to happen, but she also asked for validation and proof. And as I said to John, I know a lot of people who would have scoffed at that notion that their genius idea required further validation. These are often the same people who you know that are too busy criticizing others and always bringing toxic energy into an equation. Wexler has met opportunities with optimism and hustle. And look at where he is now. Tell me the difference between being at Adidas when you first joined as basketball merchandiser to mm -hmm. today. Uh, What's the vibe? What's the internal vibe difference? Definitely way more uh, chest out now, but but also still this notion that we're a work in progress. And I think there's a lot of similarities and a lot of differences. On the similarity side, I think that this idea that we're still a work in progress and you know your best day is still ahead of you mm -hmm. and striving for excellence, you know what the athlete needs and nothing more, that has always that will always continue but i think the biggest change is this notion that we are the creator sports brand and to really dive into what that means and to bring that to life versus we're the brand that's emblematic of sport and it's more important for us to be synonymous with what sport means than necessarily with what innovation and open source and creativity mean mm -hmm. um so you know yeah. Now, when we're working with athletes, we're trying to bring reflect every aspect of their creativity and bring that to life. Where I think that if we had signed athletes, that back then when we were trying to tell stories, it was more about how that athlete brings their sport to life. Mm -hmm. You know, and now it's more, I think, more about the athlete's creativity and what they bring to their game and their yeah. life and their world. Right. So, uh, and also, you know, like I, I saw some tweets the other day, like, wasn't it better in 2016 when Adidas was on top? And I'm like, we were five times smaller than Nike in 2016. Yeah. We were four times smaller than Nike last about. year. <laughs> yeah. Like, we have so much more work to do, no matter what. The perception was Adidas was this like startup company almost, mm -hmm. you know? And now it's like, yo, we are, we're definitely perceived as more of a threat than ever before. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, like we're not looking backward, we're looking forward, and like it's about innovation. Yeah. It's about sustainability. It's about 
the the bringing in creative partners and creative athletes who want to make the world a better place through sport. Yeah, we if 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 we're not checking those boxes, then we're not being true to who we're we think we are. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I mean, which makes it a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm always observing the kid in the street, right? Like I always take the subway and see what people are wearing. And when Absolutely. I, when I still to this day, and I don't know if you feel the same way, when I see a kid head to toe Adidas, I'm like, wow, that is, to me is still like the steps that it took to get that kid <laughs> to be head to toe, big Adidas logo, proud. Yeah, I'm like, wow, that really wouldn't have happened seven years ago. You wouldn't have seen that. It's so funny because I, I, I know I'm like. Are you still like, do you pinch I get you so like, proud when <laughs> I see so, that stuff, man. Right? I know it sounds corny as like I actually have kids and a wife and family and stuff, but like, <laughs> you know, New York is definitely the barometer, arena. right? Like, yeah, that's the and like, yeah. you know, I used to walk down Broadway with two offices on, we used to have two offices on Broadway. I used to walk down Broadway and not see stripes. Mm-hmm. There was times last year where all I saw was stripes. Yeah. This year it's gotten a little more 50 50, which is, which is all good mm-hmm. because you got to like learn. It's the arena. And, yeah. and it's not like our competition stood still while we were accelerating. Mm-hmm. It's the constant like one upsmanship yeah. game that makes this such a fun. Dope. It's dope. Yeah. Uh, a business to be in. <laughs> but like, yo, when I go to New York and I see like packs of kids wearing Adidas now, I'm like, I know it sounds corny, but I get super proud of that. Mm-hmm. Like, and on airplanes, subways, um, all these public places where you know people like they knew they were going to be there and they dressed that way on purpose. Yeah. it was intentional. Yeah, they know they're going shopping with their crew. Right, all five of them are wearing desert rats. Yeah, like, that's unbelievable to me. Yeah, or and and like that's a whole other thing because right. that only started three years ago. Well, that's like, the thing that I want to get into now because oftentimes when I see that kid, I start dissecting his mind and I'm like, okay, why yeah. is it? Is it Pharrell? Is it Harding? Is it Wex? It could have been. No, no. Yeah, it could be. No, it's Well, no, no. It isn't any one thing. It's all things. Yeah. Like, that's the thing. Like, everyone wants to parse it out based on what their contribution to it was. Mm -hmm. And, like, yo, Stan Smith and Superstar, those shoes got hot because Phoebe, because we did the right thing by those shoes. We pulled them. Mm Mm-hmm. And we cleaned the marketplace up. Yeah. And then Phoebe Philo put those on her models. And we did face on tongue versions for everyone from ASAP Rocky and Barack Obama and Jeremy Scott uh-huh. to fucking Con- I think Kanye was even part of that. And that was prior to our like mm-hmm. first convo. Um I like the and then we put them into all the boutiques and then Pharrell did some versions of it. Mm-hmm. Like the cadence and rollout of that was thoughtful, intentional, yeah. and we were prepared for it. Um and if we had, it's like what you said earlier, if we'd done any one of those things out of order or differently, yep. the whole thing would have collapsed. Yep. It's a big house of cards. And so with Superstar, same thing. Pharrell put the the steroids on that by by doing Supercolor, yeah. you know, which was like 50 colors uh-huh. in the Superstar in a time when the Superstar, I remember Lil Wayne wearing Superstar when he got out of prison and people were like dissing him and us at the same time because that shoe was quote unquote not in fashion mm-hmm. and then less than 12 months later we we're doing 50 colors and it was the hottest shoe in the marketplace yeah with pharrell right. so like when you get the right insight and the right presentation going um and the right messenger and the right sort of spirit meta narrative you yeah. know all those things add up and so when i see people try to say you know was it kanye was it pharrell was it boost was it it was mm-hmm. all it was all and it was also a huge management change in adidas mm-hmm. that said we will no longer tolerate a marketplace where we aren't 
in a leadership position. Yeah. We so won't settle anymore. There's no more settling, no more status quo, no more good enough. No, you know, Steve Stout was in a meeting with us a couple of years ago and he said, good is the enemy of great. And mm. I was like, that, I'm stealing that. That mm -hmm. is a great quote. Yeah, yeah. Because it's true. When you're doing good enough, you're fine. Right. But like, are you really that good? And like that, that was the kind of thing that you only learn once you do something that really has a quantum level impact on your biz. Like yeah. we thought we were doing good, but then when we got into this new space, it was like, holy shit, this is what winning really tastes like. Mm -hmm. And I like how that tastes, yeah, you know? Yeah. So we want to, it's that adrenaline bump every time. Mm -hmm. How do you feel the differences between being like a sneaker fan back in the day and now being a sneaker head? It was so innocent back then. Yeah, don't you think? it's a dangerous. You said innocent, and the word that came to me was dangerous. I guess I'm viewing <laughs> yeah. this as a threat. But like, I, it. Um, I mean, that being a sneakerhead, if we could remove the sort of violence element of that, mm -hmm. I think it would be beautiful. But yeah. but because of that, that those are the things that get the most headlines. Right. And you know, you never hear about a calm line outside of a sneaker store. You only hear about the riots. Exactly. And and uh, you don't hear about smooth releases. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And and the other part is like, um, you know, everyone's got the answer when it's an unsmooth release, mm -hmm. and everyone's the amplifier of that. But when it's a smooth release, people are just kind of like, mm. yeah, you know. And so it's like, wait, is it good to have lines outside the store that become a riot then? Because uh -huh. people talk about it, and it's like, oh no, hell no, that's not good. <laughs> yeah. Like that's not what you want people saying, and it's not the consumer experience you want. Right. Um, but I'm wondering if a kid right now who's like 13, 15 can get into the culture purely for the love, or is the you know the reselling, the financials of it, like the lineups, is that just part of it now and into the future? Yeah, that is the. It's hard that to separate, right? Thing. I I hope that it gets back to a time. Like one, it's on brands, right? Because if brands were releasing enough of the quantities of the products that those kids are having those brawls over, it might remove that factor. The problem is, is that kids have this, and it's an industry created perception that things have value based on when a brand decided to hit the on off switch, yeah. not on the inherent value of the quality of the materials. The product and the, itself. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and it's self-inflicted. You know, we've been a part of that. Our competitors are a part of that. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden um, now, it seems you're like... You're a part of that. I'm, a, I'm you, guilty you started of this. That. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but all of a sudden, it seems like the, the resell value now somehow intrinsically affects the product, which is not the case at all. But we're living in this culture where, like, you could have designed the best shoe, put the best marketing behind it, put the best face behind it. But now if it's not on resale above, like, MSRP, it's flopped somehow. Right, when right, right. the fuck did that happen? Right. <laughs> it's flopped to like literally 4% of the people. Maybe 0.4% right, of the population. Right, I know, I know. It's pretty funny, <laughs> man. But those guys are the loudest. And that's like, you know, love them or hate them. Matt Powell has this thing called the echo chamber that he likes to talk about. Not that I can see what he says because he blocked me on Twitter four years ago. <laughs> but the uh, the echo chamber thing, I think, is is an accurate statement in so much as the, the resale community has created such a loud feedback loop yeah. that if you believe something counter to what that feedback loop is saying, mm -hmm. you know, in this polarizing times and this tribal world we live in, fake news. There's no welcome <laughs> totally to any counter opinion. And it's like, I don't even hate on the resellers. I just think it's like it's part of what we do. Mm -hmm. Um I I would love to, for brands to make enough product that the people who want it can get it. Yeah, yeah. And for the people that are building these algorithms and other ways to sort of cheat code their way to the front of the line, 
that they can get a two. Mm-hmm. But the irony is that those people who are cheat coding their way to the front of the line won't want it yeah. if it's made broadly available to other people. Right. So it's like, it's this really hard thing to unpack, man. It's yeah. super hard. Like I hear people use the term necessary evil. I don't even agree with that. I think it's just, it's just part of the game. Mm-hmm. And like, if we do right by our consumers, then the resale guys can't, uh, if there's a way to cater to both markets, obviously, mm-hmm. and that's yeah. what brands are doing now, just by hitting the off switch early, right. letting people know that they made a very limited amount of pairs, and keeping their fingers crossed that the resale community will will somehow broadcast that. Mm-hmm. But I would love it to become a time when people are like, "This shoe is cool because I could get it." Yeah, you know, like the Which opposite. Is what Kanye talks about now. He's talking about dem- democratizing. Releases. Yeah, yeah, no, and, and he did with the white, yeah. the triple white. Like yeah. the whole point of that was to. Um, you know, live up to that promise he made mm-hmm. of 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 uh, anyone who wants to get it easy can get them. Yeah, and you know, there's. I think he posted a picture of all these other new models that are coming out, mm-hmm. and like, there's a place in this world if you want to get beyond like product collaboration and actually be a real brand, you have to figure out how to transition between this notion of limited edition hype shit. Yeah, with like staple items mm-hmm. that are always available. Like no pun intended. <laughs> oh, hey, freebie. But yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like those those but things that are just like your go to you, shit. Yeah. That's like in your Diamonds. closet. Like there's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. But making the leap to that, there's a whole perception game that goes yeah, on. And, right. Um, you mentioned Matt Powell, and it's funny because like he blames that echo chamber of like hype as part of the problem, right? But then like. He's also part of that. He's like the antithesis of that. But like, you know, I saw him. I, you don't see his tweets. But like every time Adidas announces like a markdown sale, he'll like retweet and be like, see, told you so. And I'm just like, the, what, you're say, what you're saying is ba- you're basically telling your followers that like I was right and like Adidas is going on sale. But like it's a fucking business. Like, you know what I mean? Like luxury brands go on sale too. So what are you actually saying? Like he's feeding into the yeah i wouldn't know i i I can't (laughs) see his stuff he um i don't get me wrong i i love that market data like i i'm a i i eat that stuff i love Mm -hmm. reading through that um my issue with matt isn't the data he provides it's that because his company sells that data to brands like ours and Mm -hmm. we we get that data from Mm -hmm. him he just spoke to our company last week yeah uh twice i was at one of the meetings (laughs) it was great he Uh did a great job I'm not, I'm not hating, but my issue with him on social media is that because he can't share the data because it's proprietary, he's no different than anyone else mm-hmm. on Twitter. Yeah. He's just firing hot takes off. I know. But because he sells that data to brands, the data he can never reference or share on social media because it's proprietary. And if he does that, he can no longer sell it because mm-hmm. he's giving it away for free. Yeah. He's just lacing his opinions out there. Right. And what he, you know, in a twist of fate, what he said to us to do last week is the opposite of everything he said we were doing wrong with Kanye two really? years ago. Yeah. So like, he I would love to show himself. himself. <laughs> you know, he was also, whatever. I got a million hot takes on him. <laughs> but like, I, I, I think there's a need for industry expertise and for people to have that data right. in their fingertips. Right. It's just like, you're, if you're always looking backward, you know, I don't think there ever would have been a case for Yeezy mm-hmm. if we were just looking at that type of data because yeah. you know the collections he was doing at the other brands when he was working with mm-hmm. were always intentionally kept super micro yeah. levels and when we started working with them 
it wasn't that different. Mm-hmm. Like it was, you know. But if you only look at the data, you go back in time. There shouldn't have been Run DMC My Adidas either. There shouldn't have been all of these things that happened. Totally, right? there wouldn't be a, f- a iPhone that looks this way. Like the whole <laughs> thing is, people don't know what they want until you show it to yeah, them. Yeah, exactly. So like, what was I mean, the market research on iPhones bef- when we had Blackberries? Zero. Exactly. Like, you know? And like, yo, but but it, I like while I love data, I also believe that you can like data can blind you too. So like, I like to look at data and try to be as emotionless as possible with it and just say, all right, my, my opinion before I read this doesn't equal what I'm thinking now. Like Mm -hmm. this data changed my opinion. It was good that I read this. Um, Yeah. Art and science. You need both. Yeah. Yeah. But your gut still is a key driver and all that stuff. Exactly. Like the, the, the art part. And um, cause there's tons of data that would say, work with person X, Y, Z, but then, you know, you call your five people that you really trust and they're like, I don't know, that person's 15 minutes of fame might be waning, you yeah, know? Yeah. And I mean, right. there's got- so many people you could list off with that. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So, um, almost wrapping up here, I do want to ask you one more thing before we go, because you are obviously a full-time employee of Adidas, yes. but you yourself have sort of become an entity onto yourself in recent times. And I think you know, it helps to have saved Kanye's life at one point, right? <laughs> wow. In 2015, when you saved Kanye's life from his own mouth, I think that propelled you into. Oh, life. and he said that at the. He thing. said he saved my. He said yeah, John yeah, Wexler yeah. saved my life. Yeah. How did that feel? <laughs> With you standing on stage well, when he said it, it was it was unbelievably. Uh, I I was shocked because I he didn't, didn't tell you prior anticipate that, like, that I was coming like, at you didn't all. Know. Okay, and I don't think he had really thought that through either because i remember the exact moment when he said it and Mm -hmm. i also remember the moment he was referencing so which uh was a phone call in june of like 2014 okay um and i mean he i don't know if i saved his life but like he wasn't exaggerating about how much it was driving him crazy Mm -hmm. to not be able to get his ideas into the market and how how he knew we were the right people to do that with, and we just needed to figure out the details. Mm-hmm. So, um, like maybe his creative life. <laughs> what's like that? that? I'm sorry. Maybe you saved his creative life. No, I mean, I well, I, I, it's hard to really get in his head. I, I, I just remember him calling. What, what happened was, was we had spoken well before that phone call, mm-hmm. and tried to figure out how we could get a partnership going, and it, and it didn't land. Mm-hmm. And so we hadn't been in touch for, I'd say, a couple months. And we were doing a shoot in LA. And there was a bunch of other people involved in the shoot that are like electrons to his nucleus okay. um, on good music, et cetera. Uh-huh. And the next morning when I woke up in LA, I had a bunch of missed calls from him. So I called him back. And he was definitely like super vocal about how, you know, when you're as creative, when you're a creative person, the sense I get at least, because I'm not a creative person, like I'm not, <laughs> yeah. but the sense I get from talking to him and other people are just like super creative is that they're the most driven people and like they work their asses off. Mm-hmm. Like that shit does not happen by accident. Yeah. These super prolific creators. And he, he was banging his head against the wall. He had all these shoe designs in his head, mm-hmm. all these apparel designs in his head. I mean, you saw season one. That show was beautiful. Yeah. Like, it was a beautiful, fine, like, finally we got that vision out there. To see him get that out there was, like, really rewarding to just be a participant in that process. But he, he called me that, that time in June and was just like, we got to figure this out. Mm-hmm. And, and, like, I, you know, it's affecting my 
life. Like I can't sleep. Yeah. It's affecting my relationship with people. Mm -hmm. Like help me bring this to life. And I was like, look, I got these guys coming in from Germany. Like let's reconnect and yes. Like it wasn't like we didn't want to work with them. We just couldn't get the details right. So we um, all got in a room. We went from the Y3 show that fashion week to, so me and him kind of like reset Mm -hmm. and then started trying to, get his vision onto a sheet of paper as far as like what he wanted to accomplish and how we could enable that. Yeah. And that took about two months. And then we went to fashion week in New York and uh, I went from the Y3 show. And I remember Justin was sitting front row at that show, uh, Justin Bieber. And then we went from that show to backstage at Jimmy Fallon, where he was preparing to perform bound. Okay. And it was me, our former CMO, rest in peace, Herman Deininger, and our former creative director, Dirk Schoenberger. And we connected with him backstage and just kind of talked out what he and I had been putting on a sheet of paper forever. And we broke out another sheet of paper and kind of redrafted it. And Backstage. Um, yeah, just uh, he was rehearsing and stuff. Like he was, it was, he was, it was like a, I don't remember the exact day of the week, but I think he was performing like two or th- two nights later or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. But I also remember uh, Eddie, uh, Charlie Murphy was wearing a head-to-toe Adidas tracksuit, uh-huh. white, white with uh, black stripes. Yeah. And Herman and Dirk were like, did you plan that? And I was like, no, man, this is how people, like, people love Adidas. Right. Like, they dress head-to-toe in Adidas. <laughs> yeah. So it was, like, pretty cool. But um, we were able to work it out. And then I remember Gabe came in with, like, the Yeezus tour poster. And he was like, me and Kendrick are doing the tour mm-hmm. and all that stuff. And, and, um, and then it still took, you know two more months to to get things final yeah but so uh, all that time did you ever think like man this might not happen actually or did, were you always confident I, this is gonna happen it's just a matter of like i could not let it happen it was like not let there it was happen. there was a Love lot it. of factors involved and one of them was just like that was the goal man like yeah. i have i it's it's sort of like a weird weird story but like Every morning, I would go to Starbucks, get a cup of coffee, mm-hmm. pour a little bit out for my homie, rest in peace, and I would be like, all right, let's go get Kanye today. And I would literally like say that to my best friend and me in my head, Wow! and then we'd you know, get on the phone. It's like you, the, if you can't get excited to get on the phone with a guy like that to try to bring him to the brand, and, 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 ha- and with, when you know you have the full support of the brand to do that... Mm-hmm. I don't know what will get you out of bed. Yeah. Like the greatest challenge, the greatest opportunity, and to be involved in that at any level is so inspiring. So I did it, the whole thing with a smile and like it was a roller coaster ride, but we had already, he had already said, you know, things had already not come together once. Mm-hmm. So of course it was a potential outcome. Yeah. But the second time through, knowing where his heart was at, knowing where our hearts were at, it was just going to get done. Do you and remember the signing day? Absolutely. Absolutely, because uh, both of them, <laughs> you know, because we've we've done yeah. it twice now with him, and that's not easy. But uh, I was walking; I'd gotten this package, and it was heavier than I thought. I thought it was like a T-shirt, and I remember walking out of my office to the the product guys who were sitting outside, and I was just cutting this package open, and I was like, "Oh, I just got a text," and I look at my phone, and it said, "The world changes now," mm-hmm. and it was from him. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, just now even saying that, I got the chills. And uh, He had just signed? And I go to my computer, and in my inbox, inbox was his signed contract. And I was like, holy shit. And I remember calling our CMO. He was in Brazil doing a site check, and it was like 3 in the morning. And uh, 
I was like, he signed, you know, cause every day everyone's like, what's the update? Mm -hmm. You know, everyone's involved. Everyone like senior management, they're yeah. signing the actual contract. I don't countersign yeah, that right. contract, you know, <laughs> right. um, that's done by the CEO <laughs> and stuff. And so, um, I called our CMO and I said, it, it's done. And mm -hmm. he was like, I'm calling room service right now, <laughs> celebrating and set up a meeting tomorrow with the heads of state at the company yeah. to tell them that it is now time to, to go. Yeah. yeah. And so I remember getting on the phone with a guy named Arthur Hold, who uh, now runs Adidas in Western Europe and was that, at that point in time, the head of our style division, which is now run by Torben Schumacher and uh, with Dirk Schoenberger, mm -hmm. creative director at the time. And I was like, the deal's done. And it was... It, that was the beginning, you know, yeah. like all the work that went into getting the contract done, that was great. But like the real work was that now what, you November <laughs> 8th or 7th of 2014 when, um, or 2013, what am I saying? 2013. Yeah, it was yeah. 2013 because he signed November, 2013. We we're supposed to launch Thanksgiving, 2014. He wanted to make some changes. We, we ended up, you know, coming out spring 2015. And, uh, wait, do you remember from signing from the first conversation to signing how long did that take it was uh may 2012 to november 2013 okay year and a half to hear wexler talk about this milestone is super inspiring he knows the date he knows the time it's one of his greatest career achievements and it might even be seen as one of the most important moments in fashion and design period and when you hear him talk about achieving this dream, you get a sense of just how much it means to him. In your career, these moments can happen. And it doesn't have to be with a Kanye West. It could be on any scale. And when they do happen, it's going to be unforgettable. For me, the first time I walked into a store in Soho wearing a t-shirt that I hand printed and that manager asked if I could order 12 shirts for the store, I will never forget that moment. It doesn't matter how many people I meet, how many shoes I've designed, or how high my career gets, that moment is it for me. That's the moment I'm talking about. Wex pinpointed his dream with laser focus. Like he said, sometimes you just need to remind yourself every damn day when you grab your coffee. Let's do this. Today is that day. And let's face it, dreams more often than not, they get sidetracked but it's on you to keep yourself moving in the right direction because nobody else will. But I promise you this, when you get to where you're trying to go, it's gonna be special. And just like Wex, myself, and everyone else I've interviewed for this show, it'll be a moment you never forget. When I first started talking to Kanye, uh, his email signature said Kanye West, no phones. <laughs> and it's pretty funny now because he doesn't, I don't, yeah, he's not an email. He only uses his phone now. <laughs> but, um, so, yeah. So, yeah, in that process now, you've become sort of like a social media entity on your own. And, you know, we were just having this conversation before we started to get on the air about, like, how you can leak shoes now. And sometimes you're asked <laughs> to leak shoes. Sometimes you, you get leak. in trouble. You I can't get in leak. trouble. Yeah. I can't leak. It's, there's definitely a I thing think people here. Are, I, I got to say, I think people are shocked to hear that sometimes you even get in trouble for posting some pictures of Adis. Well, I would say it this way. I don't know that I get in trouble. I just feel awful. Like, because so many other people work on this stuff and have plans yeah. that like, they, they kind of just ignore it when it's me and I, 
but I feel guilty about mm. it. And mm. like, it's not intentional. So it's truly an honest mistake when these things have happened, but it's more like the disrupting of all the work that all my friends and yeah. stuff are putting in. Because, but it's because of the weight that you carry socially with, you know what I mean? Like, Anyone who works at a company who gets a product is proud to put that product out. So they're like, oh, look what we're coming out with, right? Absolutely. But when you do it now, it becomes like media, for better or for worse. You know, it's funny. We um, During Toronto All-Star Weekend, I got back from New York. I didn't go to All-Star that year because it was freezing cold, mm -hmm. and um, we weren't really sh doing much there. We were divesting from the league, all that stuff. So we didn't want to go big out there. And so I came home from New York. I'd been in New York, I think, with other projects and whatever. Um, it was fashion week. What mm -hmm. am I saying? It was Kanye fashion week presentation. <laughs> other projects, yeah. So um, I come home from New York. It's Valentine's Day. And my wife had built me a storage closet in our basement for my sneakers to just get them out of the house. And uh, so it's supposed to be like shoes and boxes. And if you put them in the boxes, you can kind of fit like a thousand pairs down there. Mm -hmm. Me, of course, being a s lover of sneakers, yeah. I couldn't have them in the boxes. I had to put them on display, uh -huh. which means I lose half the space. But... Um, <laughs> I was like, you know what? Let's conduct an experiment. So I put all the shoes up on display that mm -hmm. day when I got home. I put the shelves in the wall, put the shoes up. It's the height of NBA All-Star Weekend 2016. Mm -hmm. And I take a picture of that closet, which was like the first time I'd really done that. Yeah. And it's a pretty, you know, it's pretty impressive because it's hard to see all the Yeezys in one place, mm -hmm. hard to see all the human races in one place, hard to see all the rafts in one place. Like, and I'm fortunate enough to have that yeah, because of the role I play here and w w the relationships and whatever. And uh, so I put that picture up and then me and my family got in the car and drove five minutes to a, a restaurant to eat. Uh -huh. And within those five minutes, that was the, header of every blog on the planet <laughs> and keep in mind at nba all-star weekend that's when brands go hard that's yeah. when they're like these are our all-star offerings that right. limited edition thing we talked about right. and all that stuff and it was like oh but your closet this rose is to wild the top. <laughs> yeah that, that was when i was like oh this is like okay there there's a like we're we're in the matrix now yeah, like, yeah. you know and and uh because what kids need to realize when they see that is that from your standpoint and your family you just unpacked a storage thing and you just took a picture of it like any man would like do. Like anyone who uses yeah. social media for. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Early on, Complex Magazine put me in one of those like sneaker people influencer lists. Okay. You were on it too. Okay. It was like Middleman, you, mm -hmm. um, myself, Jeremy Scott. Um, There's a couple other people from Adidas, a lot of Nike employees, celebrities. Kanye yeah. was number one, uh -huh. I want to say that year. It's like 2013, 2012. And the picture they used of me was me and now my 13-year-old, but this was, you know, six, seven years ago. And my wife was like, call them right now and get that picture taken down. Yeah, it's our kid. Yeah. So, <laughs> and then from that point on, she was like, no images of our family on your social media because too many people see it. Yeah. You know, it's not, it's not private. And mm -hmm. I was like, all right, cool. So that then like really skewed my posts. Yeah. And at the same time, um, I was really just like, I was following all these rappers on Twitter and I was also following Elliot Wilson. Mm -hmm. And I realized that if I followed Elliot Wilson, that I didn't need to follow any of these other yeah, rappers. Right. So I was like, oh, I'm going to be the Elliot Wilson. And I've told him this, by the way, okay. I'm going to be the Elliot Wilson of sneakers uh -huh. for Adidas. So then I started aggregating all that content. And my yeah. brother early on was like, you have the worst Twitter account on earth. <laughs> I'm like, just don't follow me then. dude. I, I'm just a retweeter because yeah. I didn't want to leak shit. Right. And so if I retweet stuff, I know it's out yeah. in the marketplace already. It's, not you. it's it wasn't safe. Me. Yeah. Um, I 
I know what you're talking about. It's yeah. always a weird one though, because I'm not a celebrity and I don't get paid like a celebrity and I don't have the lifestyle of a celebrity, but, mm -hmm. but you get like the negatives of a celebrity. <laughs> I definitely get those. I got docs last year, which was not fun, but like the, the, part about, you know, and you probably get this more than, I mean, just walking through here, people are stopping you and mm -hmm. like, you know, but you go to an airport, mm -hmm. that's, that's probably harder yeah. for you. Yeah. And like, for me, um, you know, Portland's a very small city. So, you know, my kids, depending on their mood, they're like, let's go. Or that's hilarious. Yeah. But like, I remember the first time that happened where at Disney world it was me and my family. And it was the day we were launching the turtle dove Three Fifty. Or no, the black, the pirate black 350 in Europe. Mm -hmm. So like when we, I think when we launched that shoe, we had two separate launch dates. One was US and then Europe like a couple months later. And so I was paying attention to the launch on my phone while yeah. we're in line, you know, you're in all these snake path lines at yeah. Disney. And there was this group of kids, they were like 13 years old, um, large family. Uh, and they kept looking at their phone and looking at me. Mm -hmm. And my wife turns to me and she goes, I think these kids think you're, a celebrity mm -hmm. and i'm like nah don't worry they got me confused with someone else and it got so obvious that she literally turned to them and said that's not who you think it is <laughs> and the kid turned around his phone and he was looking at a youtube clip of me in this office going through all my shoes with the guys from nice kicks um and your wife's like and oh she's, no you're right <laughs> and he's like no that's john wexler and she was like my my kids <sighs> fell down laughing in line for like the American screamer or whatever yeah, that roller coaster is. And that was like, you know, 2015. So like now I'll be at the airport. It's like mostly it's customs agents and airport security. Right. TSA. Yo, they TSA all, all they're know. sneaker aficionados, <laughs> Every man. Every TSA. Like, Yo, son, I love your kick. Like, what? Yeah. No, they're always like, you got the Yeezys in that bag? You got the human races in that bag? And like, so or is, scary, yo, yeah. what do you, you got 4Ds on today? Like, they know it. <laughs> and like, every once in a while, security guy will come up to me at the airport, LAX or something, be like, excuse me, Mr. Wexler. And I'll be like, you know, because when someone says that to you, you're like, wait, in trouble. Did I do something yeah, wrong? Yeah, yeah. And he's like, no, you're cool. I just wanted to take a picture and talk about shoes. And I'm like, oh, awesome. Yeah. You know, it's nothing I'd love to talk about more. Yeah. I think when I ran into you at ComplexCon the first year, you had a bodyguard, right? <laughs> well, that was last year. It was last year. That okay. was last year. And that's because there was open threats in my life on social media that got aggregated by Adidas and, and because of the panel we were going to do. Yeah. So well, Adidas came to me a week before it and said, um, Adidas said, we can't let you go unless you're safe. And I was like, well, I'm on this panel. You're not even sending me there. Like, mm -hmm. I, like I'm going via ComplexCon. Yeah, so yeah. I have to go. And so they're like, all right, security. And then my nephew who's like 6'5", also came. So it actually looked like I was flanked by like an yeah. entire team of bodyguards, but it was really like my nephew and a security guy who's like still my homie. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's he a watched, big dude. He, he was a big dude, and he watched Pharrell at All-Star Weekend. So it was like, you know, we, we definitely cross paths all the time. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, our security at Adidas is very uh, dialed in with all the talent right. security teams. Cool. But yeah. One, maybe, maybe just one last bit of advice for like a kid who's, like you, not a designer, not a creative, not a rapper, but wants to just be in this industry. What's what's one bit yeah. of advice you like to give? So, for me, the thing it it specific to Adidas, and I'm I'm sure this is the same at every brand, but um, I would say based on my experience here, it's get your foot in the door, because once your foot is in the door, you can network around, you can take on stretch projects that prove that you are passionate and determined to be a part of the team. Mm -hmm. And if you, if you make yourself vital to a process, um, then 
that puts you on a on a very unique radar within the company. So yeah. like for me early on, I was the guy gathering all these inputs for the Kobe sell-through and making sure that the T-Mac mad handle shoe was in his size available to be shot on him. And I know this is this might be bad to say, but like back in 2000, I remember the communications team saying to me, wow, this is the first time we've ever had a shoe in the athlete's size for a commercial. It's crazy. Crazy, right? Yeah. But like, it's just like, what would you, that's just commonsensical. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I made sure that, I put things in my calendar that said, make sure that you have product in, you yeah, know, yeah. in advance of this thing or whatever, and started to sort of systematically mm -hmm. put order to the chaos that yeah, way. Yeah. Um, and so make I think yourself like indispensable, right? Like, yeah, you make yourself indispensable by setting up process where there isn't or by noticing sort of a, a, a white space that can be filled with something that streamlines, a, doesn't overcomplicate it, simplify, simplify, mm -hmm. but like, um, you know, I think that big companies tend to overcomplicate stuff. And because Adidas is so entrepreneurial, we're looking for these young kids that have new ways, faster ways of doing things. Yeah, and, yeah. and I came in at the brand in 2000 when um, they were looking for that energy. And mm -hmm. fortunately, I was able to like get the ear of the right people. Yeah. Um, the way I earned the trust with the product team was I stuck my neck out with the creation team once I was running originals, once my first uh, PFR meeting in China where I got that cup right there. And uh, they were showing us all these designs and one of them was the Goodyear shoe. Uh -huh. And they were like, we have a collaboration with them, but we don't know if we're going to renew it. We don't know if there's a business there. And I leaned, it was my very first meeting with the global creation team from originals. So I was super shy, um, not as confident in my voice. And I leaned over to my boss at the time and kind of whispered, I think we could sell that shoe in America. And at the top of his lungs, he was like, don't tell me, tell them. <laughs> and totally the whole room like twisted at me. Yeah. And uh, my voice started to crack. And I was like, I think we could sell. You know? and, and so the reason we even had the Goodyear product was because I stuck my neck out in that meeting. Yeah. Meanwhile, they sold 4 million pairs of that shoe in Italy the next season. Right. And it was like, about so, to die. Yeah. yeah. And so the dude from Italy was like, oh yeah, we could probably sell that. Right. You know, Jay, Jay was like running Western Europe and they have different quotas there. So they have to really like their, their warehouses and the way they ship product through yeah. inner Europe is totally different than the way businesses here. So, um, they literally hit their quota on those shoes that wow. year, you know, the next year. And that became like 10 to 15% of our total business within two years, that Goodyear branded stuff. Um, and I remember coming back to America being like, here's the shoe that we're going to, this is the differentiator for us in mm -hmm. this channel. And my boss's boss said, this is too narrow. This will never work in America. 50 reasons why it wouldn't work. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, here's the wall of business I presented over there. And here's the reasons why. And he was like, you know what? I pay you for your take. I'll trust you. Yeah. And I was just like, this is an awesome place. This is an <laughs> right. awesome place to yeah, work. Right. And, uh, you know, that could have gone a variety of different ways, uh -huh. but fortunately it worked out. And the guy that that combo was with was an, our new, it was is Eric, our CMO now. Mm. So like, you know, the, if, if you are professional in the way you approach problem solving and, and don't present it as an opinion or my kids or the kids in my street said, but actually like, here's the inferences and, and, and references and the business yeah. that led to this decision. You know, at that time, the diesel lo-fi mm -hmm. sort of loafer sneaker yeah. thing was happening. And, there were other sport companies in that space trying to figure it out, but we hadn't really entered it yet. Mm -hmm. And that shoe really like landed yeah. in that same territory. And it, it, all those guys were done as soon as we brought that shoe right. in. But I think the key is being prof professional and how you fight for your ideas. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And, um, you know, fortunately, I mean, the reality is, is like, what did that guy have to lose by trying that shoe too? Like, right. he's like, if it didn't work, he'd clip me. Yeah, so yeah. it's like, you know, <laughs> you might as well give it the benefit of the doubt. Lord. But um, yeah, so I think that that's really the only advice I have is like, if if you have a vision for something to understand that you might have to move sideways or even back a step before mm -hmm. you can be in a position to like see that vision through right. and to to recognize the long game in that and not just to like job hop. Yeah, yeah. Um, which I think is actually a symptom of of today's like era is that um, there's a much different way that kids are looking at jobs mm -hmm. than the way that I look at jobs. Yeah. So, you know, if you're willing to like get commit. married and commit, yeah, yeah commit. exactly. Yeah. And you can really chart your own course. Cool. All right, man. Thank you very much. Thank you. All it was right. awesome. Hey, thank you for listening to this super insightful episode with the one and only John Wexler. And our final episode of the season. We are now 30 episodes deep on the business of hype. It's a movie. <laughs> I highly suggest you go back into the catalog and catch up on any missed episodes or some of your old favorites. As always, you can find out more about the show and listen to other episodes at hypebeast.com slash radio. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. I personally use Anchor FM. Also, give us that five-star rating and leave a comment to tell us what you think of the show. It really, really helps out. You can also reach out to me on Twitter. I am at Jeff Staple, and we occasionally answer listener questions. You can email those in to questions at businessofhype.com. The Business of Hype is created in collaboration with Bright Young Things. You can check out their work at byt.nyc. Our director is Daniel Nevetta. Our audio engineer is David Rogers Berry. Our intern is Sydney Pacumpera. And this interview was recorded in John Wexler's corner office, which is in the Yeezy wing of the Adidas headquarters in beautiful Portland, Oregon. And in case you're wondering, yes, it was raining very hard. Additional audio took place at Sibling Rivalry Studios in New York City. I'm Jeff Staple, and you've been listening to The Business of Hype on Hype Radio. <laughs>